song was trying to get across. <clears throat> yeah, you got that one figured out? Amen. Preach the word. Amen. That's good stuff right there, isn't it? Really good. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, uh, probably a familiar passage in many cases, but I just want to make a simple thought tonight. We're not going to probably spend a lot of time, I, I'm not anticipating that at least, <clears throat> but honestly, um, just a real simple thought. Something I hope will be a help to you, an encouragement and a blessing. <clears throat> in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, the Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, <clears throat> do it with thy might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. <clears throat> Let's do that again or read that again. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Tonight, if you are a friend... Be the best friend you can possibly be. If you're a brother or you're a sister, then you be the best sibling you can possibly be. <clears throat> if you're an employee, then you be the best employee you can possibly be. If you're a Christian, then be the best Christian you can possibly be. If you're a servant in the bus ministry, the Sunday school, or some other ministry of any kind, then be the best servant you can possibly be. 
I'm a little concerned that <clears throat> mediocrity is the goal for most today, especially in Christian lives. I'm just a little bit concerned that we're satisfied with mediocrity, middle-of-the-road Christianity. We're not really bent on being the best we can be. We're quite content to be simply good enough, middle-of-the-road, mediocrity. <clears throat> Andrew Carnegie said, People who are unable to motivate themselves must be content with mediocrity, no matter how impressive their other talents. Isn't that something? People who are unable to motivate themselves must be content with mediocrity, no matter how impressive their other talents. <clears throat> now, Andrew Carnegie, of course, was a very successful businessman. And that uh, first statement that he makes, that people who are unable to motivate themselves must be content with mediocrity, what he's basically saying then is the reverse. If you are content with mediocrity, you do not know how to motivate yourself. I don't know about you, but I want to be a winner. I don't know about you, but I want to be the best. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just settle for being middle of the road in anything I do. But you are quite content to do so if you cannot motivate yourself. Steve Maraboli, I have no idea who he is. <clears throat> I didn't even take the time to look him up. He could be a prisoner at some local community jail. I don't know. <clears throat> Today is a new day. Don't let your history interfere with your destiny. Let today be the day you stop being a victim of your circumstances and start taking action toward the life you want. You have the power and the time to shape your life. Break free from the poisonous victim mentality and embrace the truth of your greatness. Now, we understand he is not speaking from a Christian perspective here. However, what he's saying is very good. You were not meant for a mundane or mediocre life, he says. And may I say that even though you and I realize that we really have no greatness in and of ourselves, we understand that part of it as believers. The reality is, is that we were never meant for a mundane or mediocre life. God never intended that. We're to have a life more abundant, the Bible says. <clears throat> How sad it is to watch Christians of the Almighty God dawdle and dabble about without any sense of urgency or purpose in their life. And they just go through life. We just kind of meander about aimlessly, hoping somehow that something good finally happens, content with just getting by, content with just being. Well, that, I think, is sad. I think it's sad. It's sad to be content with the plague of mediocrity. <clears throat> you say, well, how's your Christian life going? Well, that's all right. That's mediocrity. <clears throat> how's your marriage? It's okay. Mediocrity. How's your spiritual life? Eh, mediocrity. 
How's your football team in Cleveland? <clears throat> we don't even want to go there, okay? That's not even, even close to mediocrity right now. <clears throat> you get where I'm going, but the point being is, is that I do believe if we would be honest with ourselves, we are quite content with mediocrity in so many areas of our life. And yet the Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. If you're going to be a mother, be the best mother you can be. If you're going to be a, a father, be the best father you can be. If you're going to be a, a, a worker, be the best worker you can be. I mean, why is it we settle for mediocrity all the time? Why is it we're content just to get the paycheck, so to speak? <clears throat> So many people's goals are most often rooted in selfishness. And their goodness is a mere necessity if they wish to be accepted. So they live a life that they believe will at least cause them to be accepted and received by others. Their faith is shallow, their focus blurred, their direction unclear, their purpose misguided, and their soul malnourished. But that's all right, we're getting by. When's the last time you literally sat down with the Lord, no one interrupting you, just you and Him, and you truly walked away empowered and blessed and felt like you, and felt like you just met with the Creator of the universe? You didn't just read your Bible. You didn't just pray. You didn't just go through the motions. You didn't just maintain a set of rules. You didn't just do your obligation. You truly met with the Master. I mean, we are so content to just get by and do the minimum. Accept it as a good enough aspect. of our, That's not good enough. That's not what God wants for you. That's not what he wants for me. <clears throat> Paul made it clear that <clears throat> our efforts are to be directed toward God. Take your Bible, look at 2 Timothy 2.15. Our efforts are to be directed toward Him. I mean, if you can have a good marriage, why wouldn't you want a better marriage? And may I just say this? If you, you don't have to agree with this. If you can have a good job, why wouldn't you want a better job? If you can make good pay, why wouldn't you want better pay? I'm sorry, but I'm a little bit upset about the fact that we are so content to be mediocre. How sad it is our young men have no motivation today to become what God wants to be. They're content to be simply lazy. What's wrong with us? We're supposed to be the best of the best in Christianity. We're supposed to be setting the, the bar. We're supposed to be the ones that are an example of Jesus Christ himself, who walked those dusty trails of Galilee, who allowed himself to be literally placed right at the forefront of every conflict there could possibly be, and hang on a cross for our sin and give his very life for us. And yet we find ourselves content to simply get through it. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
I want to focus right in that first statement, study to shew thyself approved unto God. How approved are you? How approved? God approve of you? You say, of course he does. Well, how much study have you done? Or are you just content just to go to church and, you know, occasionally read a passage of the scriptures and get through your devotions because that's what's required of you if you want to be, you know, say you're right with God. You might think you're right with God, but you're not approved of God if you're not studying his word. When's the last time you did take a devotional out of the bookstore or something and you, you went ahead and you started following through it every day and you started digging into the passages and then maybe as you read your Bible you see words that don't make sense to you and you get into a dictionary and try to figure out what they mean and you find other passages that connect to it and you try to put it all together and make sense of it all and learn a little bit about Him. When's the last time you said, I'm not content with just going to church. I want to know something about Him and I don't want to be mediocre. I want to be right with God and do right for God. See, the person we should most seek approval from is not our husbands, our wives, our children, our pastor. The one we ought to truly be concerned about approving of us ought to be him, the one who created us and the one who saved us and the one who sacrificed his all for us. I suppose the main thought that I want to convey is this tonight. It's not enough to play the game. But you have to give it your best. You know, I I played football growing up and for a number of years and played some in high school and you know, I'd get kind of upset and I'd be frustrated with those who would just, you know, play. They wouldn't give their best, you know? I mean, they may even be talented. They may even have abilities. They might have had more than I had ability-wise, but you could tell, and you knew they were not giving it their best, especially if possibly it was a blowout and you were behind. They just kind of throw their hands up. Oh, whatever, we're going to lose anyway. Who cares? I was never satisfied with simply playing. I mean it. I... I wanted to be the best I could be. I gave every tackle and every block my all. I didn't care if we were down 50 to nothing. Hey, listen, I'm on that field and I'm supposed to give my best. I'm going to give my best. From the time that opening whistle to the time the closing one, I'm going to give my 100%. I'm going to be out there doing everything I can to hit somebody, whatever it takes. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep fighting to the end and I'm going to give it my best. But I watched them come and go. They feel like hope is lost. No use now. They just kind of play the game. They don't give it their best though. You know, if I was to be considered mediocre as a football player, it wouldn't be because I gave a mediocre effort. It 
Let, let me explain that. See, God's equipped each of us, and He's given us each distinct and different gifts and abilities, hasn't He? <clears throat> the truth is that all of us are mediocre and even bad at some things. We all have areas where we're just not great. Well, most of you. But the fact is, is that we all have areas that we are weak at, that we would be even considered mediocre. I mean, we're up at that building and we're working and we're doing construction things, and I can honestly tell you, at best, I am mediocre. At best. But when I get to picking up drywall or doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, I do the best I can with what God's given me. Oh, I'm not nearly as good as some of the guys are by any stretch of the imagination, but I will not give a subpar effort. The fact is, is that our passage today does not address the outcome, but instead the effort. See, God is not as concerned about how well you do as how hard you work at it. And I guess that's the fallacy. We're just to give our best at everything. Everything. I'm not really pleased if a Sunday school teacher waits till Saturday night to start considering their lesson slams something together, throws it together. Oh, it's one thing if they've been in the hospital all week. It's one thing if their mom or dad are dying. It's one thing if there's an emergency and there's a tragedy in their life and they didn't have an opportunity to deal with it. But that's not usually the case. Normally it's because we just are lazy. Normally it's because we just don't care enough. Normally it's because we're content to be mediocre in our abilities or our presentation. Let me tell you something. I'm confident and I believe with all my heart God expects a teacher to give their very best to those children, not mediocrity. It's true with a bus captain. It's true with a church cleaner. It's true with anybody that's doing anything at all in their life. Why? Because the Bible says whatsoever. It doesn't matter if it's spiritual. In a sense, it doesn't matter if you're just picking up clothes around the house, ma'am. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You give it your best. Why? Because you're doing it for His approval. He's not as concerned about how well we do as how hard we try. You know, I've, I've taught Bible college not only at some classes here at our church, but also at another school down the road. And I've, I've always been amazed as I've noted such a variety of abilities in students. I mean, there's so many different levels of intelligence and levels of, you know, just uh, uh, talent and so forth. And as a teacher, I was obligated to ensure that a standard of excellence was maintained. I had to do that. You can't just pass people because they take a class. You can't do that. You just can't do it. Still, there were always those who were intelligent and passed the test, and passing the test, it just seemed to come easy to them, you know? Cakewalk, right? I mean, they, just, they don't even have to study. I mean, they just kind of look over their notes. They walk in, take the test, bam, A. Then there's that guy or gal that, I mean, honestly, spends half the night studying and pouring over their notes and begging God to help them remember what they've studied, and they get in there, and they're lucky just to get a C. 
You know, I was never really impressed with a grade as much as I was with an effort. I was often disappointed in certain students that had A's because in my heart I knew they weren't really fulfilling their potential. They were content with mediocrity. And then there were those others that fought and scratched and clawed to get by. I had tremendous respect for them. I believe God is concerned more with our effort than He is our performance in so many ways. I'm not saying that you have a right to do wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that if you will do your best to obey God and you will work as hard as you can to be the man of God, the woman of God you ought to be, I think you'll find that God will be extremely gracious, kind, and long-suffering as you take steps of growth in your Christian life. So, look if you would in Matthew 25 real quick. One of the reasons I believe this particular concept is because of this parable in Matthew 25. I think it just reinforces this idea that, that God is more concerned with our effort than He is our performance in many cases. In Matthew 25, verse 15, notice what the Bible says. It says, And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. And to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. <clears throat> After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth that with them. And so he had, uh, he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord, of thy Lord. Verse 22. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gathered where I have not strolled. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. 
but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now when I look at this passage, I, again, we could expound on the doctrinal aspect of it, the prophetical aspect of it, but when I look at it from just a purely inspirational perspective, I look at and realize that God gave each of them one five, one two, one one. They didn't have the same opportunities. They didn't have the same ability, so to speak. They didn't have the same talent, if you will. But they did have the same opportunity to work. And when it was all said and done, it wasn't like, hey, I gave you two. How's come you didn't do as much as the guy I gave five to? You only came up with two from your two. He came up with five from his five. No, he said, I gave you five. You came back with five. I gave you two. You came back with two. I gave you one. You've got nothing to show for your effort. I I contend with you today that in most cases, many believers will get to heaven one day and realize that the talents and the abilities and the opportunities that God had given them have been wasted because we are so content with mediocrity, we won't put forth the real effort to ultimately maximize our potential. I mean, to do so requires a little reading. To do so requires a little study. To do so requires a little discipline. To do so requires a little discomfort in our life. To do so says we have to, at times, shut a television off or turn off the radio or get rid of our computers for a while. We're going to have to get along with God. We're going to have to study the Word of God. We're going to have to take a class or a course. We're going to have to do something that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable and puts us out of our comfort zone. And that just isn't going to fly. In most cases. And so we go to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and 10 years later, we are none the better for it. Because we are still the same person we were 10 years earlier. Content with mediocrity. Content with mediocrity in our Christian life, in our Christian service in our homes, our marriages, our families. And I don't believe that honors, nor does it please the Lord. Why is it so important to give our best? A couple thoughts and we are done. First of all, look at Revelation When we consider why we should give our best and whatsoever we do, it is imperative that we understand our purpose, our bottom line purpose, our foundational reason for existing. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. You want to know what your purpose is? His pleasure. Your purpose, His pleasure. That's as simple as it is. So if you really want to fulfill your purpose in life, you must please the Lord. Bring pleasure, honor to Him. That is reality. That's the simplicity of it. That's how easy this thing is. Let's consider Paul's thoughts as he writes to the church at Philippi then. 
Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. I just have a question as you turn. How do you know if what you think, feel, and how you act brings pleasure to God? Can anybody tell me? How, how, how do you know? Somebody said the Word of God. Well, that's probably a good place. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes, the Bible tells us. Why? Because there was no king in the land, in the book of Judges. There is a way that seemeth right unto the man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, he says in the book of Proverbs. So what the implication is, is that you and I can be very convinced that what we feel, think, and do is without doubt pleasing God. And it can be anything but that. That's what the implication is. So the only way that you and I can really know whether or not we are truly honoring and pleasing our Lord bringing pleasure to Him is to understand and know what His expectation is for our life. What He requires and demands and, and, and wants from each of us. In Philippians 4.17, the Bible goes on to say, though the apostle again, speaking to the church of Philippi, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that it may abound to your account. We know that the apostle Paul was supported by the church at Philippi. And we understand that his needs were great. And he says, I just want you to know, I'm not asking for anything. I'm not begging for anything for the sheer fact of somehow getting rich. I'm not here to try to somehow get over or desire some kind of gift. No, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. My real heart, my real goal is to help you achieve your goals, to ultimately be in a position where one day you can reap as a result of what you have sown. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Why should we do everything with our might? Because, see, everything we do is an eternal investment. And it will yield a return one day. And the God of heaven is trying to help us understand that if we put forth a mediocre effort, we are destined to receive nothing when it's all said and done. Because until we have put forth our very best, we have not even begun to please Him. He said, but I'm giving 90%. That's not what He's asking for. But it's better to obey than to sacrifice. I believe that what God is most concerned about is our obedience to Him because in obeying Him we honor Him and in honoring Him we bring pleasure to Him and He created us and He has every right to demand that of us. I mean, our purpose is to bring pleasure to Him. Therefore, if He says He wants 100%, anything less will not do. The Apostle Paul says, listen, you better give it your best. You better invest because in the end there'll be fruit that will abound to your account. And I believe he's not just talking about fruit in this life as far as souls and, and, and lives being transformed and changed and 
men and women, boys and girls that are saved, growing in their walk and relationship with the Lord. But I believe he's talking about the fact that in eternity, you will reap what you have sown. I believe there's an eternal account. He's keeping record. We'll see that in a moment. What about the writer of Hebrews? Look if you would at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. I mean, why should we give our best? Why is it so important to do so? In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, we read, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shewed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Notice again as he writes here now to these Hebrews, he's telling them, God's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. When you put forth your best, God remembers. When you give it your all, don't, don't ever doubt God is keeping track. You're not going to get left behind. You're not going to be forgotten. You won't be in a position where you feel you've been overlooked. No, not at all. Matter of fact, he says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shewed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Everything you've done on his behalf, every pers- uh, personal effort you have made, everything that you Give your 100% to that honors Christ. Let me tell you, he says, I'm not going to forget it. I won't forget it. Yes, why should we give our best? First of all, we, we understand that that's what God demands of us. That's a good reason and enough, I think. But when it's all said and done, it seems like every time we turn around... God's telling us, you give your best to me, you'll be the one that benefits. It's almost like God's always saying, if you'll just do what I tell you, you'll find that in the end it's best for you. It's always about my seeing my children do well. I want them to succeed, and I want them to be blessed, and I want them to prosper. I want my children to ultimately reap. Tremendous reward. This isn't about the preacher wanting you to spend more time at the church. This isn't about the preacher wanting you to give more money to the building fund. This isn't about the preacher wanting you to teach Sunday school. And because we have to have workers as we move into our new building. This is about you. This is about your future. This is about your eternity. And it's about mine too. I can get up here and give a little sermonette and pretend that everything's fine, but in the end, in eternity, one day, God will look at me and say, I sure wish you'd have given your best because you can't imagine what I would have had for you. I don't want to get there that day and have that said to me. I don't want to waste my years. I don't want to waste my time. And I don't think you do either. Because in the end, the bottom line is this. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Let me tell you something. It is ridiculous and it is horrible and it is tragic that there have been people taken advantage of in churches through the years. Tragic. Unacceptable. 
Pastors have taken advantage of people. People have taken advantage of one another. That's not how it ought to be, and that's wrong. But let me tell you something. If you know somebody that was taken advantage of by a pastor or taken advantage of by somebody in the church and they were simply doing their very best, believing themselves to be obeying God, I promise you they'll be better for it in eternity. You may feel sorry for them now, but one day God will, you'll see that God will reward them for their effort in spite of the motives of the person that they were helping out. You'll see. Well, I feel sorry for him to some degree, but then I also know eh, God isn't going to forget. That's what he says in Hebrews. So maybe I shouldn't feel, take so much time feeling sorry for them. Maybe I just better get a little more involved and work a little harder myself and quit being content with mediocrity. The judgment seat of Christ. Eternity. Why, why do we reach people with the gospel? Why are we so intent on trying to share Jesus Christ with the world? Because we are confident that there's an eternity, that there's something more than now. We go out and knock on doors and we tell people about Jesus. We pass out track. We lift up the name of the Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are confident, according to the word of God, that there is more than this life, that there's another life. If we are that sure, then God help us to give our very best realizing we still have eternity that awaits us. Our effort needs to be our very best. It's not enough to just play the game. You've got to give it your best. You get one shot at life. One. You start getting about 50 and over, you realize, wow, this is it. And you come to the realization that time's closing down, closing up. I mean, opportunities being lost. We, we, we're not going to probably start a new business right now necessarily. We're not going to Start a new family. Oh, please, don't do that. I don't want that. I can't even imagine having a baby running around the house right now. I think I would just build another addition of the house and live there. But, you know, you only have so much time. You only get one shot. That's why it's important every decision you make in life. Because you only get one shot. at Oh, I know God's a forgiving God, and I know He's the God of second chances. But let me tell you something. When it comes to life itself, you get one shot, and then there's eternity, and that's it. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. When you close your eyes in death, there's no more opportunity to please and honor God or to reap the reward that God would have had for you. It's over. No more opportunity. Done.
finished. And here's the real kicker. You and I don't even know when that day comes. We're not guaranteed 70, 80, 90 years. We might not be guaranteed 20 years in this life. Or 10. You get one shot at it. That's it. And the Lord is saying to us today, Believer, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with thy might. Give it your very best. If you're going to be a, a, a husband, be the best husband you can be. If you're going to be a wife, be the best wife you can be. If you're going to be a mother or father, be the best parent you can be. If you're going to end up being a child, be the best child you can be, the best student you can be, the best worker you can be, the best Christian you can be, the best Bible student you can be, the best soul winner you can be, the best church member you can be, the best Sunday school teacher you can be, the best, the best. Quit settling for mediocrity. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Father, we come to you. We do thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to be a part of your family. But, Lord, help us to never be content with mediocrity.